Hey everyone, my name is Adam and welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. At the end of today's episode, please take a minute and download our free Chestnut Ridge app. It has all our recent message content and more. You can also head to theridge.church to get information on service times and get info on everything going on here at the Ridge. We hope this podcast will encourage and inspire you as you continue to grow in your relationship with God and others. Well, good morning again. For those of you uh, who are newer, newer to the church, my name is Josh Rhodes, and I'm the pastor of ministries. And uh, just to share this time in the room or watching online, gathered with others for church at home, what a, what a joy it is to be together today. We're continuing uh, our summer series called Timeline, where we're looking at key figures and, and moments throughout the entire Old Testament. We're on our fourth week Excited to look at one of my favorite characters in the Bible, just a wild story if you haven't heard it. It's Joseph, the one with that amazing technicolor dream coat. So why don't we take a moment and pray, and then we'll jump into the scriptures today. Well, God, we just want to thank you already for what we've experienced gathering together. Thank you for your great love for us. God, thank you for truth, that we can come to the Bible, open it, and and trust that you're going to speak to us. God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what you have and that we would apply it to our lives today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was around 15, I remember standing at the top of snow-covered steps. It was a long staircase, and I thought there might be ice, so I grabbed a firm grip on one of those twisted iron rails. There was an upper and a lower railing, and I grabbed a firm grip, took one step down. My body immediately shot down the stairs, but my hand stayed up top. These two fingers got twisted into that iron railing and fractured both of them. To make matters worse, it was right at the beginning of my basketball season, but I was still able to practice because I'm left-handed. So dribbling and passing and shooting for two months with one hand. Eventually the cast came off and I quickly realized that my shot had drastically improved because I had only been able to play with one hand and my shot was perfectly straight. And what I realized was something bad in my life was used for my good. And this is something that a lot of people believe, particularly Christians believe that God can take things that are bad and difficult and broken and use them in some way for our good. We look to verses like Romans 8, 28. Many of you have heard this verse. We know that all things, all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. And I know many of you have experienced this. You can look back and say, man, that was hard, but I can see how God has used that in my life for good. But I also know a lot of people who have not seen this take place yet. You haven't seen how that bad thing that happened in your life can be used for good. Or maybe you're here today going through something awful and you you just cannot see how God's going to do something with that. 
and this pain and this brokenness that we all carry. It's something that Joseph was very familiar with, and we're going to get to his story in a moment. But I just want to ask you to think for a moment about your life. And I'm going to ask you to bring a few things to mind if you would. I know it's hard and I know it's painful, but if you bring these things to mind, I think as we move through Joseph's story, that you're going to find some healing today. I think we have pain and brokenness in our life from circumstances that we experience. Bad things happen. It wasn't meant to be that way. God created a good and perfect world and sin entered, broke and destroyed what God had made and now we experience sickness. Now we experience cancer and now we have miscarriages and now people are in car accidents and there's natural disasters and there's fires and there's floods. Bad things happen. And all of you have been through circumstances that was no one's fault, it just happened. And it's created pain and brokenness in your life. I think pain also comes from choices that we make. I've made choices, you've made choices that you would give just about anything to get back. That time you went against your better judgment. The time you trusted someone and you shouldn't have trusted them. The time that you did something to hurt yourself or your family or someone else you love. Perhaps even criminal Choices we've made that have brought about pain. And then third, and this for a lot of people is usually the hardest, are things that people have done to us. People who are supposed to love us, care for us, nurture us, be there for us, have hurt us. They've lied about us, cheated on us, abandoned. They've abused us in in a variety of ways. And all of these things, the circumstances of life, the choices we make, the abuse perhaps you've endured, can leave us feeling broken. And I just simply want to invite you today as we look at this story, that instead of hiding that pain, or ignoring that pain, or maybe numbing that pain, that you would just consider that God can use your pain for his purpose. And some of you here today, this is going to be a really tough sermon, but I promise it's going to bring you hope. Because if this was a doctor's office and they said, hey, point at the face that tells us your pain level. Is it a a smiley face one or is it that grimacing 10? There's a number of you here today who your pain level is one, two, three, four, just kind of manageable. But I know a number of you, your pain level is at a six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. And as I've been working on this and praying about sharing this with you, my, my hope and my prayer is that you would simply believe that God can use your pain for his purpose. So we're going to jump into Joseph's story. And, and Joseph's story, if, if you're not familiar, covers a lot of ground in Scripture. It goes from Genesis 37 to 50. That's a lot of real estate to this guy. 14 chapters is given to his life. So we're going to start with his story in 37 verse 1. It said, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. These are the family records of Jacob. At 17 years of age, Joseph tended sheep with his brothers. The young man was working with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and, and brought a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel 
which was the new name God gave his father Jacob. So Israel, Jacob, same person. Now Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age. And he made a robe of many colors for him. So Joseph is the great-grandson of Abraham, Father Abraham. Pastor Tim taught about Abraham last week. Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had Joseph along with 11 others. And what the text is telling us here is that he was the favorite. He was the favorite out of 12. He was born in Jacob's old age and he was born to his most beloved wife, Rachel. And as a symbol and sign of his favoritism, he gave him this coat. Now for us in our culture, that's not that big a deal You know, it's like a fancy coat. That sounds great. But in their culture, it would have been a really big deal. A scholar by the name of Alan Ross writes, Joseph was honored by Jacob who gave him a richly ornamented robe, probably a multicolored tunic. This seems to signify that Jacob favored him above the rest with the intent, and here's the kicker, with the intent of granting him all or a larger portion of the inheritance Now, if this was your family, how would that have gone over, right? I'm one of nine, so I can, you know, imagine this large family getting this special coat to clearly indicate he's the favorite, but not only that, that he was going to get more down the line. It would have infuriated them. And really, there were three strikes going against Joseph. First, he was asked by his father to check in on the brothers, and he had to bring a bad report. Second, he gets this coat and all that that means. And third, as this chapter continues, he had some dreams and he shared those dreams and the dreams seemed to indicate that their brothers, the brothers would bow down to him. Strike one, strike, strike two, strike three. They hate their brother. Passage continues, verse four. When... They, when his brothers saw that his brother loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. The hatred just stirred and it stewed in their hearts. And and it wouldn't have happened at the coat, right? Maybe that was the tipping point, but they would have been hating him and mistreating him for a long, long time. So they devise a plan, verse 18 They saw him in the distance, and before he had reached them, they plotted to kill him. Their own brother, they were going to kill him. They said to one another, here comes the dreamer, come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. We can say that a vicious animal ate him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. When Reuben, the firstborn, had some sense about him, heard this, He tried to save him from them. He said, let's not take his life. Reuben also said to them, don't shed blood. Throw him into this pit in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him, intending to rescue him from their hands and return him to his father. When Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped off his robe, the robe of many colors that he had on. They they took him, threw him into the pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. These guys were evil. They were evil. They hated their brother. They were going to kill him. Thankfully, Reuben talked some sense and they were just going to leave him in the pit to die. But just then, a group of traders, Midianite traders, come by, a caravan. 
And they look for an opportunity. They pull Joseph out of the pit. They sell him for 20 pieces of silver and send him off to Egypt as a slave. And some people would say they had it coming to him. You know, he, he flaunted his coat. He told these dreams. He gave a bad report. But there is nothing in the text that indicates that he had done anything wrong. And if I were to summarize the first part of this story, I would, I would use a pretty strong word. I would say Joseph was abused. He was abused. It said they couldn't say a kind word about him, so you know he was verbally abused. Maybe you can relate to that. We know that he was physically abused. He was stripped and thrown into a pit. He was mentally abused. He was at 17 years old, sold off to a foreign country. He was abused and he had done nothing, nothing wrong. Perhaps even looking at that word today, you'd say, Josh, I can relate to that. And I am so sorry if that's the case. He was abused. So he was taken to Egypt, and once he gets to Egypt, he's sold to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar was a very powerful man, buys Joseph, brings him into his home, but the Lord was with Joseph. He was with him, and Joseph quickly became successful in what he was doing, so Potiphar put him in charge of the entire house. Things are looking up for Joseph, but then the story changes again. So he's in prison, or he's in Potiphar's house, and it says this, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. After some time, his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph and said, sleep with me, but he refused. Look, he said to his master's wife, with me, here my master does not concern himself with anything in his house, and he has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. So how could I do such a great evil and sin against God? Although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. Now one day he went into the house to do his work and none of the house servants were there. Household servants were there. She grabbed him by his garment and said, sleep with me. But leaving his garment in her hand, he escaped and ran outside. When she saw that he had left his garment with her and had run outside, she called the household servants. Look, she said to them, my husband brought a Hebrew man to make fools of us. He came to me so he could sleep with me and I screamed as loud as I could. When he heard the screaming for help, he left his garment with me and ran outside, all a lie. She put Joseph's garment beside her until his master came home, and she told him the same story. The Hebrew slave you brought to us came to make a fool of me. But when I screamed for help, he left his garment with me and ran outside. When his master heard the story his wife had told him, these are the things your slave did to me, he was furious and had him thrown into prison where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph was there in prison. So Joseph was abused by his brothers. His fathers loved him, his brothers hated him, and he was sent to Egypt. Now, we see that he is falsely accused. Potiphar loved him and appreciated him. His, the wife 
accuses him and tries to seduce him, and now he is thrown into prison. And this isn't a modern prison, right? There's no TVs or places to work out. This is a bad place. But again, the Lord was with him and caused Joseph to prosper and find favor in the prison and and was soon put in charge of all the guards. And he met two guys while he was in prison, the cupbearer and the baker, Pharaoh's Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker, and they had dreams, and and Joseph was able to interpret the dreams, and it was almost like a good news, bad news. Hey, cupbearer, here's what your dream means. In three days, you're going to be restored. Baker, got some bad news for you. In three days, you're going to be killed. And just as he had interpreted, three days later, that's what happened. But before they left, he he asked the cupbearer, please don't forget about me. Please don't forget about me. I'm being held here wrongly accused. I've done nothing wrong. Three days later, they're both released. The baker is killed. The cupbearer is restored, but completely forgets about Joseph. Two more years now pass. Two more long years he is trapped in prison. And after the two-year mark, the pharaoh of Egypt begins to have dreams, wild dreams, He dreamt of seven sick cows who swallowed up seven healthy cows and he dreamed about seven kind of thin heads of grain that swallowed up seven healthy heads of grain and he could not figure out what it meant. So he searched all of Egypt, all the wise men, all the magicians, no one could figure out what it meant. And then the cupbearer remembered Joseph. He told the Pharaoh, in your prison, there is someone who can interpret this dream. They bring Joseph up, they clean him up, bring him before the Pharaoh, he shares the dreams, and Joseph gives the interpretation. He says, Pharaoh, you're going to have seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of harsh famine, and you need to begin storing up food now. Not only did the Pharaoh believe this interpretation, but he put Joseph in charge of the project. He became his second in command. He became a vizier. Now, some of you have heard that word before, the royal vizier. If you've seen Aladdin, you know that Jafar, the bad guy, he was the royal vizier to the sultan. He was second in command, highly influential, highly powerful. Joseph was the royal vizier. Vizier. This was a position in Egyptian culture. Every pharaoh had one, and Joseph was the vizier. A vizier, check this out, in ancient Egypt was the most powerful position after that of a king. A vizier was the equivalent of the modern-day prime minister of the nation who actually saw to the day-to-day operation of the government in its on all aspects. So he wasn't just put in charge of this food project. He was put in charge of the entire nation of Egypt. And God was at work. The the Pharaoh actually took the ring off of his finger and put it onto Joseph's hand. He clothed him. He put a gold chain around his neck, gave him a chariot, gave him a wife to whom he would have two children. God raised and restored. It says this about Joseph, it says, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Joseph left Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout the land of Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced outstanding harvests. 
Joseph gathered up all the excess food in the land of Egypt during the seven years and put it in the cities. He put the food in every city from the, from the fields around it. So Joseph stored up grain in such abundance like the sand of the sea that he stopped measuring it because it was beyond measure. His interpretation of this dream was true. It was from God. Seven years of plenty, seven years of famine, and it strikes. There is no food to be found except in Egypt. And who needs food? <laughs> who needs food? His family needs food. So Jacob finds out that there's food in Egypt and sends his son. After some back and forth, we find one of the most climactic scenes in the entire Bible. And if you haven't heard it, this is like a movie. 45 verse 1 says this, Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all the attendants. So he called out, send everyone away from me. Now mind you, they wouldn't have recognized him. 20 years has passed. He would have been dressed like an Egyptian, talked like an Egyptian. He would have aged. They did not know it was him. No one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. But he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it. And also Pharaoh's household heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Mike, drop. Is my father still living? But they could not answer him because they were terrified in his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. And they came near. I am Joseph, your brother, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, don't be worried or angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. In 14 and 15, then Joseph threw his arms around Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin wept on his shoulder. Joseph kissed each of his brothers as he wept. And afterward, his brothers talked to him. Wow, what a scene. So Joseph calls for Jacob and all the brothers and the wives and the children, 70 in the family. He has them all move to Egypt where they settle and are saved from the famine. They live 17 years together as a family. Jacob is aging. He's now near the point of death. He blesses each of his sons and then he dies. And after he dies, we read this and this is how the story concludes. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said to one another, if Joseph is holding a grudge against us, he will certainly repay us for all the suffering we caused him. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before he died, your father gave a command. Say this to Joseph. Please forgive your brother's transgression and their sin, the suffering they caused you. Therefore, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when their message came to him. Then his brothers also came to him, bowed down before him and said, we are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me, but God planned it for good. You planned evil for against, me, against me, but God planned it for good to bring about this present result, the survival of many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. 
I will take care of you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Let me take you back to that coat. Joseph was abused by his brothers and sent to Egypt. He was falsely accused and sent to prison. God restores him. And now we see Joseph's pain is what God used. This is what our God is famous for. He takes the pain, the brokenness. I mean, can you imagine having done nothing wrong to be stripped, thrown into a pit, sold off into state slavery, in prison, your world turned upside down. God took all of that, every bit of it, and he used it for his purpose. This is what I'm suggesting God wants to do for you. And again, if your pain scale is six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and you're still wrestling through these things, I understand that it can take great faith to believe that. But I have seen God do it throughout the pages of the scripture, and I have seen God do it in so many people I know. He's famous for it. He takes the pain, he takes the brokenness, and he uses it for his purpose. So I know there's a lot of you in the room, online, at home, and we're not talking one-on-one right now. But if we had the chance, and we were talking one-on-one and you came to me and you shared the pain and the brokenness that you've endured, the circumstances, the choices you regret, the things that people have done to you that they shouldn't have done to you, I would give you a few things to think about. I would give you just three things, and I'm gonna share these things with you. If you have something to write them down or put them in your phone, And then we're going to close with a special moment that you'll want to hang on for. So, how can God use your pain for his purpose? First, you've got to let people in. You've got to let people in. My tendency, your tendency, is to hide it. Pain usually equals shame. And when we're hurting and when we feel broken, we try to pretend like everything's okay. There were a few points in my life where I was hurting inside and people would say, how are you doing, Josh? And what did I tell them? I'm, I'm good, I'm fine, and I wasn't. I was dying inside. You gotta let people in. In our church community, it is okay to not be okay. We all have our stuff, we all have our pain. And this idea of helping each other, letting people in, and it's all throughout Scripture. Galatians 6, 2 says, carry one another's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? It's love. But the only way we can carry each other's burdens is to share those burdens. People can't read our mind. We've got to let people in so they can walk with us. I don't know if that's a a phone call or a text, but let someone in. Don't hide it. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Let someone in. Second, I want to encourage you to leverage your pain. The, The word leverage just means to maximize, to make the most of it. And this may sound very counterintuitive, but I believe that you can leverage your pain in the lives of others. The experiences, the choices, the things people have done to you, your greatest points of pain make you an expert. If you've been through something hard, you get it. 
You can help someone through it. I love how the scripture talks about this in 2 Corinthians. It says, praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For as the sufferings of Christ overflows to us, so through Christ our comfort also overflows. As God comforts us and as God heals us and as God restores us, we are in a position to help others. And I've seen this in so many ways. I know a number of of people who've had miscarriages That's hard if it's happened. That that happened to us early in our marriage. What would it be like to make it known to others who had that experience that you're a safe place, that you're there, that you get it? I have a friend who's an AA sponsor, Alcoholics Anonymous sponsor. If you don't know what that is, it's someone who is a, a recovering alcoholic who now comes alongside a struggling alcoholic. That's leveraging pain. I know people who have, who have children with a variety of disabilities, and it's hard, and there's questions, and they love their children so much, and they have gone on to do great things for other families whose children are hurting. That's leveraging your pain. And I know so many people who have experienced different kinds of abuse, and you know what they are now? They're advocates for the people who are being hurt. That's leveraging your pain. How can you do that? I would say just have eyes to see and ears to hear. And when someone posts online or or they're talking about something hard and you've been through that, let them know you get it. Let them know you care. You can do so much good. And then third, and this is the most important, is to look to Jesus. How can God use your pain for his purpose? You look to Jesus. He understands pain. We can't forget that. He took on flesh and lived a very, very hard life. He understands. I love how Hebrews describes our Savior. Therefore, since we also have a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight in the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run the race. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. Perhaps one of the greatest ways that God can use your pain right now is to bring you into a relationship with himself. Maybe you're feeling like you're broken. Maybe you're feeling like your life is without hope. Do you know Jesus? That is the greatest thing that could come from your pain is to look to a savior who can heal. And if you do know Jesus, I wanna encourage you to look to him in your pain. We can either run away from God, doubt God, hate God, forget God, or we can run to him. Let's run to him. Let's run to him. And as we think about Jesus, he was hated without cause. He was sold for 30 pieces of silver. 
He was accused, he was abused, he was crucified, he rose again, and God used him to save the world. Does that sound familiar? Jesus, Joseph. <laughs> Joseph is another picture of Jesus. And again today, if your pain point is six, seven, eight, nine, ten, I know you're wondering. And I know you're asking, how can God take this pain, what I've been through, how can he use it? I would just remind you, he's there. He knows, he loves you, he sees it. And he is in the midst of the brokenness. There was Jesus. It's been a long season for all of us. And just listening to that song, I just think about so many people I know and love who've been through so much. A family who's lost a child. A divorce that's on the brink. It's hard. And I don't know what you've been through or what you're going through, but I do just want to say we love you. We're so glad God's brought you to be a part of our church. And I just want you to, to believe with me that God is going to use it all. I was at a park in town a few weeks ago, and there's a beautiful mosaic. And you stand back, and you see the trees, and you see the kids, and you see this beautiful piece of art. But when you get close, you get up close to it, what you find is it's made out of broken pieces. That artist took every last one of those broken pieces and put it right where it was supposed to go. Ephesians says that we're God's masterpiece. <laughs> Guys, God's going to take the brokenness. We have confidence in that. I leave you with Romans 8:28. We know by faith, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God those who are called according to his purpose. You may have experienced brokenness, but you're not broken. You may have been unloved, but you are loved. God's gonna use it all. Let's pray. God, thank you for what you did for Joseph. He didn't deserve that. What he went through for all those years, God just... Considering him as just another guy, a, a real man who lived a hard life, God, but you used all of it in powerful ways. And God, I'm just believing that for our church. God, whatever it is that you're going to take it and you're going to use it. And we will stand back. It might take 20 years to stand back, but we will see how you took that broken piece and put it into the masterpiece of our life by faith. God, we believe these things. And it's the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.